I remember when I brought my daughter home, my son started crying and then she started crying. And then I'm just sitting there crying because it's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to handle this. So it's really overwhelming, right? When your nervous system goes into that fight or flight, you shut down almost because you're like, well, where do I go from here? Postpartum looks different today than it did in the past. The once taboo topic is now being talked about more and more, which is so important because talking about these things is where creating support systems for new moms and dads begins. And that is why I'm so excited to talk to today's guest, Dr. Chelsea Bodie, about the book that she recently co-wrote with Dr. Caitlin Slavens called Not Your Mother's Postpartum Book, where they share what you can really expect in your first year. This episode covers a lot because honestly, postpartum is a lot. We talk about challenging what society claims it's supposed to look like, going back to work, parenting an infant along with other kids. We're diving into all of it and tackling what it means to be a modern mama today. If you're expecting your second child, you might be asking yourself, am I ready for my baby's arrival? Is my child This big transition can be tough on little kids, but there are things we can do to help them prepare and adjust the shift more smoothly. And that is why I'm hosting a live virtual workshop to teach you my framework to help you help your child process the ups and downs that come with a new baby. In this 60-minute workshop, I'll help you create a game plan for minimizing the impact of this big change on your child's life to learn how to manage your expectations, your child's regressions, and how to set effective limits, and get strategies for managing your own emotional highs and lows as you move into this new stage of parenthood so we could say goodbye to parenting guilt. Plus, I'll stick around after for a Q&A so you have a chance to ask me your questions about your unique challenges and troubleshoot the things you are struggling with. And I know that your schedule is jam-packed, so I am hosting this workshop twice, on March 28th and on March 30th to try to accommodate everyone's busy lives in different time zones. To reserve your spot and learn more about all the things I'll cover, go to drsarahbren.com forward slash siblings. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash siblings. See you in the workshop. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights, so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi, I'm so excited to introduce Chelsea Bodie today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I was especially excited when you came out with this book, Not Your Mother's Postpartum Book, um, to ask you to come on because I feel like the postpartum period has been given a bit of a rebirth. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're re we're we're recontextualizing it. We're giving it a new definition, but there's a lot of like, it's very different. I think the nuance in this, like understanding that this is a really nuanced time in women's lives and everyone in the family's lives has taken on a whole new meaning. For sure. 
Yeah, no, it's, I think it's such a transition and, you know, we've had conversations with people before where we're just like, you know, I think it's so overlooked because it's like, oh, you have a baby and it's such kind of this relatively, you know, if you're growing your family, it's something that you experience and it's just a thing and you don't really think about it. Like it's not in the forefront because it's like everyone's gone through it that, that has children and it's just, you get through it and it's fine. Yeah. And, and, you know, we do get through it most of us with, with probably a few scrapes and bruises along the way. But like, I think there's so much fear leading into it now, like Mm -hmm. anticipatory anxiety. Um, and then when we're in it, are we, are we feeling like we're, we've built up the support systems to really meet our needs in that moment? And I think sometimes it's almost like until we're in it, we don't realize no one's teaching us what we're going to need before we get there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for for both Caitlin and I, you know, it really comes from a genuine place and hopefully that comes across in the book, but we both really struggled in our postpartum experiences. Caitlin struggled significantly with postpartum anxiety and, you know, she wasn't able to leave her house or drive or, you know, some kind of, some of those things sometimes where, you know, for myself, I had, uh, my baby was born 12 weeks early and Mm -hmm. so we were a NICU family and so when we were going through, she had her second baby when I had um, my first. So we were kind of going through postpartum together and, you know, it was so lonely and it was so isolating. And I, you know, I, for me personally, I really felt like, okay, you know, yeah, you have the education, you have all this information, you have resources, you have all this like knowledge. And yet I was like floundering and I was like, I can't be the only one who, who feels this way and who feels like there isn't enough support for like the modern mom out there. Like there's tons of books about baby's milestones and what to look for and feeding and, you know, all of these things. But, you know, it just felt like that was really lacking for, for moms and like their mental health and their, you know, the raw experience that that mothers go through and that transition into motherhood. And so when we went to write the book, we kind of wanted to create we like to call it an encyclopedia for moms. So we really talked about, okay, what were some of our major struggles? What are some of the major struggles that are brought to us by our clients and that they're bringing to us? You know, and how can we put this together where, you know, if you don't have time to read a full book, because lots of moms and new moms don't have time, right? I don't have time to sit down and read 400 pages right now. So can I just flip to what I'm experiencing right now and that I want some information on or some resources on? And then we wanted to make it feel a little bit more tangible by adding in some of the workbook stuff. So being able to, you know, fill it in for yourself and really like hone in on your own experience and then having that resource there, that information and education kind of behind it. Yeah. I love that. Cause I think, cause for me, like one of the things and I, I also do a lot of education for parents in the, like, you know, the year one part of life, mm-hmm. right. I, becoming a parent, but also of like child development year one. And I think one of the reasons I even started to teach around that period of time was because I was like, okay, there's so much support for a pregnant person, mm-hmm. right? We get so much information on like every single month, you know, we can, we just, and we're seeing the doctors constantly. And there's so much, you know, as a society built in around supporting pregnant women, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then when we have the baby, there's some thought, thought into like the first few weeks after the baby's home from the hospital, but then there's like a support cliff mm-hmm. that we just fall off of. And so many parents, it's not until 
they kind of come up for air a few months in and realize, oh my God, where is, where, what I've been survival mode for the last like three or four months, mm-hmm. maybe even a year. Totally. And so I'm, I'm always very interested in like, how do we like raise up that, that drop of that cliff? Like, where do we put in more supports for parents who have just had their kid? Like to feel confident in parenthood, to feel like they know what their parenting values are. Like how, I'm so curious, like when you were putting this book together, like what supports were you hoping to give to parents as a result of this? Mm-hmm. A lot of normalcy. Like we really wanted it to feel like this like raw insight, like, yeah, it, it is hard. And you get to say it's hard, right? That doesn't take away your love for your children. That doesn't take away who you are or how effective you are, efficient you are, whatever word you want to use as a parent. But it really is okay to say, you know what, this part I don't love or this part I don't understand or I feel like I'm the only person going through this. And, you know, is that just how it is? Or is this me? Is this something like wrong with me? Right. Cause I'm sure you hear it too. You hear those questions all the time. And so our hope was just to, to provide some normalcy within that. Like you get to say it's hard, you know, boundaries are hard, you know, breastfeeding can be hard or even just choosing what type of feeding method you want to um, use for your child is hard. Social media adds this component where it's like kind of this double-edged sword. Like it can be great to have all these resources. And then you fall into the comparison trap, right? And you're like, well, I'm in my pajamas with a mum butt on top of my head for the last three days. And there's, you know, whoever has, has this perfectly curated house and I feel like I'm failing, right? So we really just wanted to provide that like real and raw insight and hopefully a little bit of humor, a little bit, not to be too scary, <laughs> but yeah. that there would be that like, yeah, this is, this is real. Yeah. And it's messy. And it's, Mm -hmm. I think, normalizing how we can have, we can hold a lot of mixed feelings at once, right? Like I can be so in love with my child and feel so disconnected at times, feel so unhappy, feel so overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. like that all those things can happen at the same time. And that's normal. And it's real, I think is so important to highlight for people because I do think the postpartum period can kind of get this like artificial glow mm-hmm. around it. Right. Like, um, we, we remember the good parts and that's what we talk about. Mm-hmm. But in reality, there's a, like a real amnesia that happens for most people. And I think there's yeah. probably some evolutionary basis to that. Like we have to forget about how hard it was so that we don't, ever want to have more kids, we can wrap our mind around that. Like as a species to be able to procreate multiple times requires some level of like dissonance, right? Like we kind of have to forget what happened. Mm -hmm. But then as a result, like I think our society like kind of glorifies this moment as this like glowy, happy, beautiful time. And there are elements for sure that are, Mm -hmm. but also that's not a really accurate picture and it doesn't make any parent sort of less of a good parent if they don't feel that way. In fact, probably most people don't feel that way all the time, ever. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yes. I would love to see the mom that's glowing because I definitely was not. There's not a lot of glowing. Maybe it was sweat, no. but it was definitely I was like, I was, I was greasy, but I don't know if I call it glowing. <laughs> um, yeah, no. And I think another thing I was curious too, and you know, you call your book, not the, not your mother's postpartum book. And like, what was our mother's postpartum book? 
Like what, what, where, where did you deviate from maybe like how, and I think I say that in quotes because I don't really think there was a postpartum book for our moms, but like, and that's the problem that you're solving for. But like, what would have been in that book that you were like, nope, we have to change this. We need to rewrite the narrative. Um, I think it was that there was partially that there was no narrative, right? Like that's kind of the irony of it is there isn't really, right? These books of, you know, again, mostly focused on baby and their milestones and, you know, what that first year of baby's life looks like often doesn't even touch on mom really at all. And so that was part of it. And the other part of it was that just that modern moms today have different struggles, for example, like working outside of the home, not that's more commonplace now is having a career outside of the home than it it was previously, right? There's also the component of social Mm -hmm. media, which wasn't necessarily influencing moms um, previously to this as well. So there's just some things as well, I think that weren't recognized. So when we look at like birth trauma, I don't know if it was really even acknowledged, right? And at the very minimum, all birth is usually physically traumatic in some components. So, you know, never mind the emotional side of it, right? It was like, you have your baby, here's your baby, go home. Um, So it was just like really recognizing that those issues don't necessarily have to be glossed over either. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think that going back to work piece is like all those things that you said are very salient, I think for moms right now. Um, And anyone in a partnership with a new baby, right? Because I think even that, um, those like traditional roles are getting redefined by a lot Mm -hmm. of, in a lot of families. But this idea of going back to work after you have a baby and like, I work with a lot of parents who go back to work. I work with a lot of parents who don't go back to work and both groups feel terrible Mm -hmm. about their decisions. And it's so painful to see how much pressure and guilt and pain there is, um, not for everybody, for, but for many parents when they're trying to make these decisions. Like what, what are some of your, I'm curious, like what would you tell, what do you tell parents who are trying to navigate the, like the inherent conflict of trying to be in two places at once? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of it is kind of the both and kind of concept, right? It's like fit, really validating and being like what you're experiencing it's like your emotions are okay. Like it's okay to feel torn. It's okay to feel like it is a big decision because it is right. Like you don't have to sugarcoat it. You don't have to pretend that it doesn't matter. Uh, People who, you know, some people have to go back to work. They financially don't have a choice and other people have to stay at home because childcare isn't an option, right? Like there's so many factors that can go into that. And so that grief that can come along with it, I think is really kind of a normative part because it is this like separation or change in either um, separation from your child, ending your work, career life, whatever that might look like, right? There's this like loss component that's going to come on either side. And I think it's really important to kind of recognize that that part is there and probably like fueling a lot of like these feelings and emotions that can come with that. Yeah. So there's a lot of like validation and making people feel like they're not crazy for feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And then I'm wondering too, like, you know, when you're, when you're working with parents who do go back to work, for example, and they do feel that, that, that loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I, another thing I see a lot is like fear of what will this do to my relationship with my child? Like, mm-hmm. will they have an insecure attachment style because they separated from me mm-hmm. for so long? Or will they like be more attached to their childcare provider than to me? And like, you know, how do we help ease some of the fears that parents have around 
kind of these cat- catastrophizing thoughts of like worst possible outcomes from going back to work. Yeah, I think it depends on who you're working with. But, you know, some people find it really comforting to like learn a little bit about attachment and know like attachment isn't like a one shot (laughs) deal. You don't get like one chance to have a secure relationship. Um, So talking about like what that means and what like what that could look like and how you can foster that in different ways and really nurture that. Right. It's as I'm sure you probably talk about all the time, that like quality versus quantity and how can you really, you know, use that and, you know, really be present with your child when we are with them. Not all the time, right. You have other things you have to do, but really, you know, having that quality time when you can and really investing some opportunities into that and helping find that balance of, okay, I'm not with them all the time, but here's what I can do when I'm with them. And so finding what that means and what that can look like for different families, I think can be really helpful um, outside of that emotional validation piece, right? I think some people need that. They need to hear that it's hard and they need to, you know, explore those feelings underneath that and, and do that. But from like a practical side of it, I think that can be really helpful. Yes, I totally agree. Like psychoeducation around like, okay, the fear, a lot of times we like we fear something going wrong, but that's because we don't actually understand the mechanism of how that thing works. Mm-hmm. And so when we understand the mechanism, like for example, the mechanism of attachment security, um, then, you know, we feel less anxious because we, we don't have that like worry, that uncertainty, that unknown, because it's more known, it's more, it makes more sense. And we can like fill in some of the blanks with information that actually eases anxiety rather than like the blanks themselves left Mm -hmm. blank amplify our anxiety. Like, well, what would happen if I am not there when my kid needs me and someone else sues them? And Mm -hmm. we know actually from attachment research that like when a child feels sued by multiple people, it creates a more solid sense of like the world is safe, mm-hmm. which makes it easier for them to have a secure attachment to their parent, right? For because sure. they, yeah. they, they think of people as safe people and they expect people to soothe them when they're upset. And the more people who do that effectively, just the stronger their attachment patterns, that secure attachment pattern becomes. So, you know, it's like you were saying, it's not, it's not either or, it's also like, many, you can have more than one attachment. You can Mm -hmm. have many secure, the more secure attachments you have, the stronger that secure attachment pattern and style would be. Mm -hmm. So that's very reassuring, I think, to parents who are going to separate from their kids to know that they're not the only person who can foster that for them. For sure. For sure. And that transition, right, of, you know, having having your child have that safe place, I think once you feel comfortable with it can be really reaffirming like, oh, okay, you know, daycare or school or this care provider is a safe place for them. Like I can, I know that they're going to feel comfortable and they're going to be okay. But that obviously takes time too. Yeah. Yeah. What are other fears that you feel like parents have? Like, I'm curious, like when you're working mm-hmm. with families, like what do you hear parents saying or like some of their fears around going back to work? Um, the workload can be one, like finding that like work-life balance again, and then adding in the addition of obviously being a parent and a care provider, um, is a big one. Um, often to that identity piece, like what happens like with, is this going to add to my identity? Is this not like, what does this mean for me? And then of course, like boundaries is a big one too, right? Like setting boundaries either at work or at home or with family, friends, you know, finding what that could even mean or it could even look like once you're back at work. Yeah. Yeah. What are some, like, 
boundaries are so huge. Like what are some, what are some ideas or strategies that you teach parents either through the book or in your work, Mm -hmm. like to help give them strategies for setting boundaries or even like knowing what are boundaries worth setting? Like how Mm -hmm. do I decide if this is a boundary worth setting? And then if it is, how do I set it? For sure. Um, Usually we start with talking about values or like, what do you value? Right. And obviously then there's a practice practical side of it of like, what does your support look like, right? Like sometimes boundaries are harder to set if you're a single parent or you don't have the support or community around you, um, like family near you and and things like that, right? So it's kind of going to, okay, one, what's your support system look like and what resources do you have? And two, what do you value, right? Some people really value work and really, you know, if they're like, if I'm emailing after the kids go to bed, not a big deal. Doesn't bother me. I'd rather feel productive and and do it. And other people like, nope, when my day is done, I don't want to have to, I don't want to do those things. So again, finding what you value, finding what works for your life and how your circumstances, and then actually finding ways to put that into place. So in the book, we do kind of go through some scripts and, and different things like that of like, Hey, this is how you can kind of lay out a boundary and what that could look like. And, you know, obviously boundaries are so hard, right? And then once you have the boundary, sticking to the boundary is hard, right? Um, but I like to talk to people about like flexible boundaries too, right? Like are there circumstances or times where you're, you can feel like that can bend or do you feel like there's those people in your life where you're like, Nope, if I bend, I know it's going to be taken advantage of or what that looks like. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of finding also who those people are in your life and and what that looks like. I love that. I think that idea of a flexible boundary is so important because I think we can get sometimes stuck. Like if we set a boundary and then we actually don't want to like die on our soil. We don't want to like, we, but we want to be able to back up with, you know, with some grace and integrity (laughs) and like, you know, and like, and feeling like we're not undermining our authority either. So it's like, I'm curious, like when you are talking about a flexible boundary, do you feel like that gives parents more permission to say like, sometimes it's okay to hold it and sometimes it's okay to let it go? Yeah, I think so. Unless somebody's like really black and white, right? When they're like, I need, I need that structure and I need to know like this is my boundary and this is not. But if um, you're not quite in that realm, I think it's really nice to be like, okay, I know that I can give myself permission to do this sometimes. Or, you know, if I do have to work late one night, you know, I know that it's not necessarily going to be damaging to the relationship with my child. And I can take that time for work or for myself to get those things done. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of allowing yourself a little bit of grace, I think, by having that flexibility. Yeah. So we don't beat ourselves up when we, you know, don't follow a boundary because then I feel like then we fall off the wagon with the boundaries. Like if I am, if I'm working on work-life balance, if I'm working on saying like when, when I'm done with work and I'm with my kids, I want to put my phone away. I want to like really be present. I, I want to make that quality time because mm-hmm. I might not have the quantity of mm-hmm. time possible anymore, but I'm going to take those two hours and make them really quality. And that's my boundary, right? For myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes a boundary with work and with others because if someone tries to come into that space during that time, I have to say I'm not available, right? Mm-hmm. But also there's going to be times when like, I'm going to just pick up my phone and get distracted and do the thing I said I wasn't going to do. And, or there's going to be a time where something really important comes through and I, I have to Mm -hmm. give up my boundary and do the thing. And I think sometimes if we don't have this sense of permission to not be perfect with the boundaries that we set and to be flexible versus rigid, that's the difference between beating ourselves up after Mm -hmm. that kind of moment where the, thing didn't go the way I was hoping it would. Mm-hmm. And then not kind of not 
bouncing back and trying to reset the boundary next time mm-hmm. versus being like, perhaps this is too hard. I can't do this. So I'm not even going to try. For sure. Yeah. Or it's the idea that, okay, I didn't, I, I didn't set it once. So it's like almost the diet, right? You're like, oh, I'll start again on Monday. <laughs> and you're like, okay, you can restart, right? Like it's okay. It, you can have an off day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think flexibility is so key. I mean, I think anything, like that's part of like the transition into parenthood is like learning that like being flexible is one of your biggest assets mm-hmm. and it's really hard. It's really hard. Totally. <laughs> it's like a, it's a crash course and like learning to figure out what are your priorities and what can get, you know, you got to triage as a parent, nothing <laughs> all, can, the <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And like, even just going back to work too, that, that piece about identity, the mm-hmm. shift in identity the conflict around how much my identity, like we can have multiple identities, right? Like when I'm at work on my work self, my work self state kind of comes out. And when I'm with my kids, my mom's self state kind of comes out. And I think now we live in this world where sometimes where we are being pulled in multiple directions at once. Like if I've got my phone on me during family time and work stuff comes through and distracts me, then it's like, almost like I'm being like kind of forced to have these multiple personalities at once, right? Like my mm-hmm. work self is now competing with my mom self. And it's, it's, it, that's actually like a big stressor for our nervous systems, for our bodies. Mm-hmm. Like it's, that's really overstimulating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, like what your take is on sort of trying not to multitask and trying to have like separation in our roles and our identities. Yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, in those kind of instances, it's almost like you're right, you're like over, overstimulated, right? Like everything's like feel like it's spiraling or feels like it's a little bit out of control or you're like, oh, I need to like finish my thought in this email, but my kid is like screaming and I hear Paw Patrol in the background and I just like can't even, I don't even know what my thoughts are. So I really actually tell people to kind of slow it down and like really give their nervous system a break. So I call it sensory breaks. So it's like asking yourself, am I hungry? Am I tired? <laughs> do, you know, those like basic need questions. Am I clean? And so, you know, for clean, I mean, like, could you go like splash water on your face, have a like reset. Um, if you have time for a shower, depending on what time of day is or what you're doing, like just try to like reset your day. Is it, you know, I haven't eaten all day and I'm like living off like half warm coffee that I've reheated five times. Okay, well, can you grab yourself like a drink of water? Can you grab a granola bar or is there something in the fridge, right? Like really kind of paying attention to those basic needs and then taking that sensory break if you need it, right? Yeah. And so um, obviously if you're tired, it's not like you can go have a nap, but maybe it's just like being mindful. Like, okay, today I was up last night with the kids and I just know I'm like not going to be functioning at my normal level. And I'm just going to give myself permission to feel tired. Um, You know, sometimes it's those things. I always say, not that you want to like lock yourself in the bathroom, but I say bathroom because I feel like that's like one of the only places in a house that typically has for sure has a lock on the door. Um, But you know, do you need to like, your kids are throwing, if you're a screen, screen time family, can they have a little bit of screen time? Can you, you know, go sit, put your headphones in for like 10 seconds, 30 seconds, take a few deep breaths in the dark and then go back out. Right. It's just like really finding those ways that are realistic for your life, but like adding them into your day that don't have to take a lot of time. Right. It's just like those resets to be like, okay, now I feel like I can think and I can finish that email or, you know, my kids are distracted for a minute. So I'm just gonna take a pause. Yeah, no, I think that's such, I love the idea of a sensory break and like 
the importance of it being able to happen in like 30 seconds. Like you don't need to take a 10 minute sensory break for it to have an impact on your nervous system. Would it be nice if I could find 10 minutes of peace and quiet? Yes. <laughs> but for the, the effect of like moving out of fight or flight into like mm-hmm. rest, digest, right. So yeah. Getting into that parasympathetic nervous system activation that that we can do that in a few seconds if we have the space, mm-hmm. like if we can physically take a minute and intentionally kind of regulate our nervous system in that way, that it doesn't take that long. If you're not at a 10, like if you're mm-hmm. at a 10, it might take a while to come back yeah. down. But if you're feeling that like creeping, rising agitation, because you are feeling like more and more overstimulated because you are, you've got like your kids need you and your work is needing you at the same time mm-hmm. or you're physically with your children, but your brain is in your work and how incongruent that feels. And that could be really agitating to mm-hmm. our t- emotional state. Yeah, like I know I get more irritated and frustrated when I'm with my kids and I'm thinking about something I have to do for work. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of like, the, de- the the dual demand on my like cognitive attention. Yeah. It's like too much. It's overstimulating to try to hold both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that mental load, right? It's like you're mentally like running down your to-do list at work and you're like, and then somebody yells or hits the sibling and you're like, I'm going to lose it. Like I can't, I can't, right? You just don't have space for regulating everything. In <laughs> right. And I think, you know, you know, people have, it's, it's funny because we, we've kind of shifted into talking about like life with many kids, which is totally realistic. And like, I think being, going back to work, like one, you have a postpartum period every time you have a kid. Mm-hmm. And the first time it's the first time and there's no other competing things, right? It's just you and this baby. Mm-hmm. But when you are a second time parent or third time parent, it doesn't, it's like exponentially more challenging each time because you don't have space. Like when I remember I, when I had my second, um, my second, my postpartum experience with my second was way, way more challenging for me emotionally. Like I went through postpartum depression with my, with my daughter and I didn't with my first. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in part, one of the reasons that was, is because I, even knowing all the things that I knew going into it, having the particular type of training that I have, having never experienced it, I assumed it would feel the same. Mm-hmm. And so when it was different, and in retrospect, I realize now why it was so different because I also had a toddler, <laughs> but like um, it being different than what I expected really pulled the rug out from under me. And I think it really took me it, it made the symptoms of postpartum depression that I had more surprising for me, which made it harder for me to recognize what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another piece is like each postpartum period we have is going to be profoundly different just by the nature of it being a different phase in our parenting journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Every postpartum like child's needs and temperament and right, all of that is so different. And, you know, I think, I, I did anyways. I noticed my daughter was very different from my son. And I was like, oh, okay. I got to figure you out. You're a whole person. And it's not that I didn't, you know, rashly, you know that, but then mm-hmm. you have this tiny being and you're like, oh, okay, now I got to figure you out too. And I have a toddler who's like changing every day and I can't keep up with their emotions and let alone my own that are going haywire. But yeah. 
And there's so much pressure I think we have on ourselves to give our our second the exact same experience mm-hmm. we gave our first. Yeah. And the reality is, is like we can't, and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. I think I I experienced so much guilt with my second yeah. because I was like, oh my god, I'm not giving my first what he's used to getting anymore. So I'm like abandoning him, and 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 I felt so much guilt about that. And then I felt tremendous guilt that I knew I wasn't giving my daughter my second what I had given my first. And I was mm-hmm. like, felt so much guilt about that. And I think that was a, that was a big part of my postpartum depression story was kind of understanding and processing that, that surprising level of guilt that I had not anticipated. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and a really good friend said to me, and this is like still something to this day that I like really found to be one of the most pivotal pieces of like guidance I got in all of my parenting journey because it really shifted. It like snapped me out of, not completely, but it really shifted my postpartum depression was Mm -hmm. you said, your first gets your undivided attention and your second gets your expertise and experience as a parent. And it was like this light bulb went off for me and I was like, oh my God, I am not I'm not supposed to be able to give both the same experience Mm -hmm. and that's okay. I'm not the same parent to Mm -hmm. both kids because I'm at a different place. The second one entered at a different point in my life. Mm -hmm. So I'm a different person. And like my first didn't get my expertise as a parent. He got like me throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what stuck. And like to some degree I had to do that all over again because I was like you were saying like I had to learn my daughter, but I was more confident as a parent that mm-hmm. second time around, which allowed me to hover less, give her more space, be less reactive to everything. Like, so I think that there is, once I just realized, oh, I have permission to be a different parent for both kids and that's totally okay. It was a big turning point for me, I think. Yeah, that's beautiful. I wondered too, like your book, you know, I imagine it's, how long does it go for? Like, how long do you feel like it's applicable? You know, I think it's for the new mom. I think it's for the seasoned mom. I think there's definitely topics like mom guilt, um, social supports, so like social media, relationships, right? All of those things are touched on, boundaries. And so I think those can impact you regardless of where you are in your motherhood journey. Um, even sometimes like birth trauma, I've had clients that have come in and they're like, my child's 10 and I still like can't even think about when I gave birth to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes that's even uh, a concern, right? It's just something that you haven't had a chance to process. So I think there's a lot of topics that could be relevant even for a seasoned, quote unquote, seasoned mom. Right. And I think the reason why I asked that is like, in a lot of ways, I kind of feel like you're never not postpartum, mm-hmm. right? Like it just means after having a child, mm-hmm. <laughs> there isn't really an expiration date, no matter what right? Like you will always be on some level postpartum. I mean, from like a medical standpoint, it kind of like, we look at it as like the first year, mm-hmm. which a lot of people think it's the first three months and that's not true. Like no. your postpartum from a medical standpoint for the first year after your child is born. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of, like you were saying, like a lot of the stuff that comes up for people in their postpartum year doesn't get processed until later because on some level, we're too in survival mode that first year or we're too much dealing with like the immediacy of everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not until we really like 
have some more space from that time in our life that we're able to look back and say, oh, you know, I do need to process some trauma from my birth. Or, you know, I do need to kind of make sense of some of the emotional challenges I had in that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, or I need to reevaluate my my identity as a parent because I never really looked at that. Mm-hmm. For sure. No, absolutely. That I, I, I agree. I'm like always like, oh, one year, that seems like so short to me, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how you like, again, medically for sure, but I don't know how you define that from like an emotional standpoint. Cause I really like believe like you're always learning and growing with your child, right? There's always a new stage. There's always a new, right. And even if it's like your third child, you still haven't done it with that child. So how do you know it's going to be the same? Right. And it's like parenting with other children around is like a whole nother skill set <laughs> because like we were saying with the going back to work and having to like mul- juggle multiple demands at the same time, like at least with work, you can just turn your phone off if you need to. <laughs> like you can't turn a toddler off when your baby's crying and your toddler's crying. Like you yeah. can't just like say, I'm going to close the computer on you right now. Like yeah. they're there, there. And there's the volume. It's not, it's like, you don't get to decide I'm going to have a, I'm going to take a break from this right now. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, the level of overstimulation becomes like we were saying exponential when you have multiple kids and you're postpartum. Because another thing that I, you know, I think is important to mention is there like structural changes in our brain and nervous system when we have a baby that make us more sensitive to having a threat response? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's evolutionarily basis, right? There's an evolutionary basis for that. We, we want to be on some level able to access like our mama bear Mm -hmm. when we have a baby. But it also means that we are so much more vulnerable to overstimulation. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. No, I remember when I brought my daughter home, my son started crying and then she started crying. And then I'm just sitting there crying because it's like, I don't know what to do. Like my son's screaming, my daughter's crying. Like I I was just like, what did I do? Like, I don't know how to handle this. So it's really overwhelming, right? When your nervous system goes into that fight or flight and you're just like, you shut down almost because you're like, well, what, where, what, where, where do I go from here? Yeah. So where do you go from here? What are some strategies that parents can use if they're feeling overstimulated in that moment where like, I can't turn off, I can't go into the bathroom right now. I can't get away because too many people need me to keep them alive right now. Yeah, for sure. Well, sometimes it's like the practical things, right? Like if that really annoying toy is like singing in the background, go turn it off, right? If the TV's on, turn it off. Like try to reduce the noise or the stimulation where you Mm -hmm. can, right? If there's some like practical ways to do that, try to bring that down. Depending on the age of your child, you know, if they're having like a behavioral struggle or they're having an emotional outburst, you know, sometimes is it just like sitting on the floor with them, right? Getting down to their level. And like, even if you have a mantra for yourself, I love mantras. If it's like, okay, this is just a moment right now. This moment is going to pass. Or um, one of Caitlin's favorite favorites that she always shares is, you know, they're having a hard time. They're not giving me a hard time, right? Like they're going through their own struggle right now. I'm going through my struggle. Like we can just be struggling here right now and it, it, we will get through this moment. So sometimes doing things like that and as cheesy as it sounds always, and as I'm sure you share too, it's like breath, right? Sometimes we're not breathing, right? We're holding our breath. We're tense. We're, you know, just like 
waiting for this to end and you need to remember to try to breathe, right? Just try to take a couple deep breaths. And sometimes that's enough just to like give you a little bit of a reset. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that that's so important. And I, oh, I totally relate to that idea of like, sometimes I'll like check in and be like, whoa, I'm like on fire right now. Why? And if I do a scan of the environment, I am, I, I will notice like there's, there's the TVs on or the radios on or, um, these toys are making too much noise. I have a, I'm, I'm super mean. I don't let my kids have toys with batteries because it makes me overstimulated. So I Mm -hmm. like, if they get gifts with, you know, they get gifts with toys that have batteries. I just don't let them, I don't, I haven't taught them that you could put batteries into (laughs) a lot of their toys. Just like, this is the toy. That's amazing. It works. This is how it works. Um, my five-year-old's kind of figuring it out a little bit, so I might lose. I'll, I might lose my edge there, but, but, but selfishly, it's just because it's overstimulating to me. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've and I've realized actually, I've become way more aware of my own sensitivity to stimulation as as a, in, in you know mm-hmm. the years I've parented. I think I realized that I am more sensitive to stimulation than I realized, mm-hmm. and it might be that my brain has changed in the course of becoming a parent, I don't remember being this sensitive to like lights and sounds and even like textures. Like, I don't think I, either I was oblivious to it before I had kids or it's a new phenomenon for my own nervous system and my my own sensory receptors have shifted. But I do, I have to like really think about muting my environment more when I'm with, when I'm with my kids. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's great to know that, right? Right. I think that's, there's power in knowing that it's like, okay, I know I need to do this or I know this is too much for me. Right. I, I've had times where my daughter is like crying or upset and I have headphones in, I can see my son, but I'm like, I'm listening to something else because I can't listen to just like what's going on in the environment right now. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, one of my, I know some parents, I haven't tried this, although I'm not opposed to it at all, um, is that they use earplugs when they're with their kids not as a, I'm not going to listen to you, but just to mute the intensity of the incoming stimulation. So if, if you're like highly sensitive to certain types of sensory input, finding ways to like, you know, get dimmer switches in your house, like mm-hmm. be able to dim the lights. That's a huge thing. Or being able to like put in earplugs. You're not ignore. It's not to like tune them out. It's just to dampen the background noise. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just less overstimulating. I think yeah. that those are things that can be helpful too. And and it, obviously, like that's true if you are just a highly sensitive person, like navigating the world. But I think because postpartum parents do have increased sensory sensitivity, which I again, like, the nobody's been talking about this. People don't let parents know. I don't think very mm-hmm. often. Like I'm curious if people are listening. Even like, you know, how, did did their OB say by the way? When you're planning your postpartum recovery, know that you might be more sensitive to to, to sensory stimulation. Mm-hmm. So, to so have a game plan for how you can mute things. Mm-hmm. Like knowledge is power in that way. Like when we know what we can anticipate, when we know that that certain changes are likely to happen, and we can anticipate them and kind of plan, prepare for them. One, when they do happen, we're not as taken by surprise, but also we're able to have a plan, which then makes us feel more comfortable and confident. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think I was ever warned about the how loud motherhood is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like your book is a great resource for like giving people that heads up. This is what you can expect. 
And it sounds like it's not just about like, let me just prescribe a bunch of things to you, but like, what's going to work for you? Like, let's prompt mm-hmm. you to sort of do a little inventory of your own and say, what do I need? What works mm-hmm. for me and my family and my values and my body? So I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everyone's so different, right? And it's so hard to like in a book capture that, right? To be like, this is one size fits all because it's not. So here, make it your fit. <laughs> yeah. If there are parents listening right now who are, I'm like, I guess there's kind of like multiple people who could use a book like this, right? There's the parents who, the people who are pregnant with their first mm-hmm. and have not yet experienced the postpartum period and are maybe anxious about it and are planning and want to like reduce their anxiety around their postpartum period and reduce their risk of like mental health challenges and things like that. There's the parent who's in it and needs to feel seen and supported and have a, and like kind of address things as they're happening. And then there's the parent who's like done this before and has now all this insight into how just how they might want to do it differently the next time. So if any of those three mamas <laughs> Are, are listening, like, what would your advice be for each of them? Yeah, I think that it's never too, too late to start, right? Even if you are, you know, in your pregnancy, sometimes it's like, oh, I should have been planning this beforehand. You know, if you're already in the postpartum period and we get questions like that all the time, right? I'm four or five, six, seven, eight months postpartum. Is it too late? Um, it's never too late, right? Even if it's your five, 10 years down the line and you're like, I'm still struggling with this. I think it's important to recognize that, you know, if you're thinking about it and it's impacting you, you can always, you know, find those resources or go through this book or, you know, really have a chance to look at some of those things that you haven't had a chance to. Yeah. I think that's so important. It's never too late. Like, and you're never not postpartum. So you're mm-hmm. never like done needing help with your postpartum journey. Mm-hmm. Like you always have permission to like go get some help processing that and support around that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think, yeah, postpartum is definitely more of a physical term, right? We're not talking about the mental health part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And it's so interesting talking to you about this. I love hearing your take on, on how we can shift sort of like the narrative around what is postpartum. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here and to talk about all these things. I mean, Caitlin and I always talk about how honored we are to be able to have a platform and to be able to, you know, talk about these things and share this type of information. So we're very lucky to have you out there giving like sound information to parents that is validating and like psychologically accurate because I feel like (laughs) there's a lot of noise out there. So I always love connecting with like, you know, people who who are giving parents information that's like accurate and useful. So I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. If people want to learn more about your work or like, you know, get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah. So we do have a website, um, mamapsychologist.ca. Our biggest platform and where we're most active is Instagram. Um, We do have a Facebook page and we're pretending we know how to use TikTok. So we are on TikTok. Um, And we do have like a Pinterest page with some of our posts too. But um, yeah, for the most part, you can DM us or talk to us on Instagram. We do like community polls and stuff like that. So it's a really great way to connect and find other, other parents too. So That's great. Well, congrats on this book. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you are currently expecting baby number two and you're worried about how your child will adjust to this big shift in the family dynamic, 
You don't want to miss my live virtual workshop, Becoming a Big Sibling, helping your child prepare for the ups and downs that come with a new baby. In this live workshop, you will learn exactly how to talk to your child about what is to come in a way that best supports their needs. We will cover actionable steps that you can take to prepare them for this transition, how to support your child through the most common emotional and behavioral challenges that often happen when you grow your family, and how to set yourself up for success in parenting while postpartum. Your ticket gets you access to the live workshop and Q&A, plus a full replay sent straight to your inbox, as well as a comprehensive workbook and extra bonuses and special offers. So to grab your spot and learn more, go to drsarahbren.com forward slash siblings. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash siblings. Hope to see you in the workshop and don't be a stranger.